asked you David's question when he uh, went to visit his brothers who were fighting in the battle. How goes the battle? How are you doing? Let me tell you that my week has been wonderful. I fought the battle well, in fact, perfectly. Started out Monday morning with a phone call from our daughter and Elaine by, uh, well, actually it was Sunday, and then Monday uh, she got on an airplane and uh, got to lay over at two different places to finally get to Maryland and be a help out there because her physical condition she was struggling through one more time. And so I did really well, thought, oh no, here we go again. And then I thought, who's going to cook for me? And I thought, who's going to do all the laundry that didn't yet get done? Then I thought, who's that all about? And I knew that any thought like that was, oh my goodness, that's losing the battle, not winning. Then Monday, Tuesday morning, Elaine called about 6.30 in the morning and said, I got up and I noticed that the carpet was wet just beside one of the walls in our bedroom and I looked at the wall and there were these brown stains all over the wall. The water's been leaking. And some guys came out to check it out because we thought it was a plumbing problem only to discover it wasn't a plumbing problem and they said, oh, you've got a major serious mold problem. And in my head there goes thousands of dollars to fix that and I'm going poor Larry how's he going to pay for this then the contractor came out and said no nah, it's not serious it, the mold is just on the drywall he ripped off the drywall but wasn't able to find out what the problem is so there we have an open wall in Maryland he laid there trying to be a help to a family and I'm back home going can't do a thing in the world about it from here, poor who? Larry. Larry, yeah. That was the start of my week. You don't want to know the rest. <laughs> I, would <laughs> I would love to tell you that it was so marvelous and I kept a great attitude and no apprehension, no doubts, no faithlessness, none of that went on in my heart, but... I can't tell you that. There are ways that in my week and in my walk, on this journey with the, those who are followers of Christ, that I lose in the battles, confident of this thing, though, in the end, the war is won. I just know this. I need help with the battle today. And that's why I'm here. That's why I hope you're here, anxious to find out what more help is there. The Apostle Paul writes in the sixth chapter of the book of Ephesians, in the second part of the 14th verse, here's another piece of armor that if you'll pick it up, it will help you in your battle, in your wars, that are much more significant than water leaking down the wall or my wife having to go through a torturous airport two different times in order to land in one place. And it's like there's so much more to 
battle that's more significant than that. And we all face it every day because, as we've learned from Paul already, there are these hosts in the heavenlies that are minions of the evil one fighting against the hosts in the heavenlies that are uh, angels and servants of God that he gives to minister to us in our life. And that battle up there touches us down here. And so the question is, how do I win in the battle that I can't see, can't know, can't taste, can't touch, can't hear, can't feel? It's not readily visible to me, yet it's going on all the time. And there are days when there is just that sense within me that uh, there's something bigger than me battling here. And so what hope do I have? Oh, I have all hope. For the 14th verse says there's another piece of armor that can be added to my armor that will give me victory and enable me to stand. And the verse says, stand, having put on the breastplate of, say it, class, righteousness. Read the whole thing with me again, please. Stand, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Just like last Lord's Day, I want you to see three mandates in just this one half of a verse. The first begins with the one we talked about last Lord's Day. It is stand. And it comes from a word that means more than keep your balance. Don't get toppled over. It means so firmly stand that you hold the ground in the face of the enemy. And I've come to say again this morning, there is no excuse for losing ground in any battle. Can I say that one more time? There is no excuse for losing ground in any battle. Well, Larry, you don't understand the battle that I face today. It's bigger than anybody around me knows. Wait a minute. I say again, no matter how big the battle, there's no reason to lose ground. How can you say that, Larry, not knowing what my battle is? I can say that because of where this whole conversation begins in verse 10. Finally, no reason to lose ground. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So I have just one question if you're questioning, is there any... Uh, you don't understand there is reason to lose ground. No, 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 no. Is there anything stronger than, greater than our God? Well, therefore, since there isn't, we have no reason to lose ground. Now, let me come at it this way. That's God's side of the battle. He offers to me, he offers to you in this conflict called the Christian life, he offers to us his strength and his power and his might. That's God's side. But there's another side, and that's what the armor's all about. The armor is God's that he's providing, but it is our responsibility to pick up and put on 
and be surrounded by the armor that he gives us. Yo, it's the difference between God's role and man's, his role and mine in this fight. I did a post on Facebook that I had to take down this week because I started a war. Can you imagine that, Larry, being involved in starting some tension? Don't answer that, please. It's this whole idea of saying, you ever heard the phrase, just let go and let God? And I thought for years that was such good advice. In every counseling session that came in where there was a conflict relationally, I'd say, just let go and let God. It's like, what does that mean? Well, you don't have to let God do anything because God is God whether you let him be God or not. you believe that? It is true. No one can take him from his throne. You have to let him be God. He is God. He is powerful. I get that. So that's this whole side I offer to you. My, my strength in the Godhead, my power, my awesome uh, might, I offer that to you in the battle. But you have to pick it up. That's man's side. And this is a whole debate that, uh, for those of you who like these detailed debates, it's a whole debate between Calvinism and Arminianism, John Calvin and another guy named Arminius. And if you can settle that, write a book, make a billion dollars and tithe. Are you here? No one's going to settle that dispute. It's... It's so far above us, and I gave up right after Bible college. But I do know this. The scriptures teach God is God, all-powerful, and without his might and him working in me, I can do nothing. I also know this. When he says to me, here is my might, he also says, and here is what you must pick up, you must do, in order to experience my strength. There's a human responsibility in the divine. It's all wrapped up in the Old Testament where Moses stands at the Red Sea and makes this wonderful spiritual announcement. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. So it's like Israel stands still and is waiting on God. And I've heard... Dozens of sermons misuse that verse and say, let go and let God. Just stand still. God will take care of it. You have nothing to do. But what they fail to do when they uh, fixate on that one verse is to read the next where God says to Moses, why stand ye still? You have a responsibility. I'm going to fight for you. And I will. And he did. You remember the story. Miraculously bring down the enemy. And without God, they wouldn't have been defeated. But God would not have worked on their half had they not behalf, had they not started marching forward into the Red Sea. So it's God and man. Without God, I can do nothing. And God loving us so much, saying, I give you a will. I give you a choice. You decide this day whom you will serve, whose side you are on, get in the battle. And that's what's going on in this dynamic. Be strong in the Lord.
but pick up the armor. So there's no reason for us to lose the battle because we have God's strength at our disposal, but Larry loses it every week because he doesn't pick up the armor every moment of every day. And please tell me I'm not alone. Thank you. We, my beloved, are in this thing together. Now, that's the first mandate. Stand in the power of the Lord and pick up the armor. The second mandate is stand having put on. And that phrase put on is a phrase in the English language, but it's actually one word in the original. And it's not the first time in the book of Ephesians we see the word put on. It is set in correlation to a put-off principle that just two chapters earlier in the same book. And I want to break down for you three verses in that fourth chapter that are all about this idea of putting on after having put off something. Now stay with me here. This whole idea of put on and put off is the battle. Let me say it again. This whole idea of putting off what God wants us to put off and putting on in its place what he wants us to put on is itself the battle and is frankly the greatest battle that I face. Having said that, we'll come back to it. I want to break it down for you. I've done this with all the leaders of the church and they have in turn done it in some smaller group settings. Before I left, I wanted one opportunity to present it to the entire church family. And I'm looking forward to sharing these three verses with you this morning as a part of this armor that we're to pick up. Now watch it with me. The first mandate in verse 22 is put off. Now let me take you back to grammar school days. That tells you what kind of day I went to school. I'm still calling it grammar school. It's elementary school. Elementary, Watson. In elementary school, we were taught in English that when there is a mandate given without a name attached to it, there is an implied pronoun that is present, though absent. Did you follow that? And what is the implied pronoun? Who is responsible to put off what he's about to say put off? The implied pronoun is you. So here's the deal. What that means, students, is you can't blame your parents for how miserable your life is when you're unhappy, when you're down, when you're despondent, when you're depressed. Spouses. You can't say, oh, I would be full of joy and full of life and really enjoy my life if I just had an improved spouse. You know, oh God, work on her or work on him. My life would be so much happier. No, no. God doesn't put the responsibility of you putting aside what he wants you to put aside on your spouse or on your parents. And here's one freeing thing for me that it took me 20 years, two decades in the ministry to get. I'm not responsible to see that you put off what God wants you to put off as a pastor. How freeing. 
It's like, no, I'm responsible to teach the whole counsel of God. What you do with it, my beloved, is on you, not on me. I love that. <laughs> so I can start sleeping again at night, knowing it's your call. And so you get the point, it's on you to put off what God wants you to put off. Now this phrase, put off, what does it mean? It carries this whole idea that's a, it's a great concept. It's like I have this dirty shirt that I've worn and worked in and full of sweat, grease and grime, tore in a couple of places. I take it off and I pick up a needle and thread. And if you knew me, you know this is purely theoretical and allegorical. I have no idea how to sew. And I sew the uh, holes closed, and then I get the degreaser out of whatever it takes to take grease out of clothes, and I put in the laundry and bleach it and put in the detergent, let it run in the cycle, put it in the dryer and let it run its cycle. And then I get it out and get an ironing board out, and I know a lot of you gals are going in ironing wood. Yeah, an ironing board, and I iron it, so now it looks like a brand new shirt. And I put it back on, and I go, yeah, I put it off. No, that's not what put off means. It means take that dirty, irreparable thing off and throw it away. Here's where the rub comes in. Never to pick it up again. Got it? What is it that you want us to throw away, Lord, and never pick it up again? Well, look on the screen. That's the extent of my artistic ability. Actually, that's better than I can draw. I did a Google search and found some stick people, and this is one of them that I found. Pretty sad guy, huh? What am I to put off that which brings sadness in my life? And it calls that which brings sadness in my life this, the old self. Put off the old self. I like to call that the pre-Christ me. Now, beloved, it, it is not that I was around before Christ. He's eternal. Nothing and no one was around before him. He's the beginning. I get that. But there was a time in my life when I walked without a connection, a relationship with Jesus Christ. And when I walked that life, let me tell you how it worked out for me. Not so good. What is that life all about? It's all about living life, I've taught you this before, my way. You need to walk out with me in the hallway after church and catch the kid connection kids, the kids connection kids coming back from children's ministry with their parents getting ready to leave. And often they have in their hands some sweet treat that the leaders have given them. They're sugar high for the day. And as they walk out, I ask them the same question almost every Sunday, whatever kid I see. Is that sweet treat for me? Think about it. Do you know the answer? In 44 years of Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, not one of your sinful kids ever said to me, yes, 
that's for you. Your wretched, self-focused sinner said, no, that's, oh, finish it, mine. That's what the Greek Christ self is like. Life is all about me. And I'm going to get whatever I want. And here's what the verse teaches you. The old self is all about deceitful desires. In other words, if I can just have a better husband, a better wife. If I could just have that apple, that forbidden fruit on that tree, then I'm going to be happy. It will fill my life with joy. Are you with me? How'd that work out for Eve? Not so good. Why? Because our desires, Eve saying, I want that fruit. I'll be better off with it. I'll be like God, knowing good and evil. I will be happier with that fruit. She wasn't happier. It plunged her and her relationship with her husband and the whole human race from that day to this very hour until the end of time. It plunged us all into misery. Unhappiness. Her desire and ours promise what they don't produce. Happiness. That's why they're called deceitful desires. So the scriptures say, put those things off. That self-focused life. Now, we're headed back to the breastplate of righteousness, and its very verbiage is in the 24th verse. Put on in the place of what you put off, and I want to share this with you as we walk through it, the exact opposite of every single thing you are daily battling to put off. Now, what are you saying, Larry? If you read on through the passage, you'll read, Things like this, uh, it's not so good to lie, so put off lying. Do you agree that's a good thing to put off? How was lying worked out for you and deceit? Not real good. So put off lying. But put on everything good you can think of in its place. That's not what the text says. Twice in the same chapter, chapter 4, this chapter of Ephesians, it says, stop lying, but start speaking the truth in love. So I ask you a question. When does a liar stop being a liar? Not when he stops lying, but instead when he starts replacing it with telling the truth. Another illustration of that in the same chapter is this whole idea of let him that stole steal no more. Would you agree stealing is something that should be put off in this culture? Instead, put off stealing. Instead, put on in its place. Let him that stole steal no more, but let him labor with his own hands. Something our culture needs to learn. Our American culture needs to learn. The replacement for stealing is not government help. The replacement for stealing is laboring, working. Yo, you, you seem quiet on that to me. 
So it's this whole idea. Put off the old and put on the exact opposite of that which is old. So if you're angry and that anger comes out in harsh words, what do you put on in its place? Ephesians 4 says it too. Put on gentleness. You'll never stop putting off the old until you've learned to develop the exact opposite habit. Righteous habit. Stay with me. So what's the opposite of the old? The person who is unhappy is this skillfully artful image on the screen of a stick person smiling. What brings joy? I'll tell you what brings joy. A relationship with the only righteous one that ever walked this globe perfectly righteous. And a pursuit of that righteousness in your own life. And it's called the new Self. That's what you and I are to put on. Do you remember the scripture saying old things pass away, all things become new? That's the idea of the old self within me that's all about me is to be replaced with a new creature that's totally different, implanted by the Spirit of God in me the moment I develop a relationship with Christ with God the Father through faith in Jesus Christ. Did you follow that mouthful? The moment I accept him, he creates in me the opposite kind of person that I am born with. Now, there are those who say that old person um, is forever destroyed and you don't have him living in you anymore. Well, I think you ought to read what Paul says. The evil that I would not that I do. That sounds like old man stuff still present in him, right? And the good that I would, I find not. New man stuff, but not yielding to him. He doesn't always win. He still has this battle in his members. So we got this thing going on. I've got the old man and the new man because I know Christ and that relationship with God that are built in me and at war with each other. Now stay with me. This new self has got to win if you're going to win in the battle that you face. You've already won the war when you know Christ. You're fully made righteous, but we'll come back to that. But wait a minute. The new man has to win over the old man on a daily basis. So he says, pick up the armor and let the new man win. If you're with me, he describes what the new man is like. Righteous and truly holy. Now, anybody in this room perfectly righteous and holy today? Oh, better put my hand down. Nobody I know of here that is righteous and holy, then I have a question. If none of us are purely, truly, holy, righteous, perfectly holy and righteous, then where in the world are we going to look to find righteousness? Answer, there is only one born to humankind that ever was perfectly righteous and holy. And who was that, church? 
our blessed Redeemer, Jesus Christ, the spotless, perfect Lamb of God. He was perfectly holy. But there's a problem. I haven't seen him lately. Have you? If you have, I think I'd like to talk to you after the service. No, no, he's not here. He left. He's at the right hand of the Father. Then if I'm supposed to pick up this breastplate of righteousness and become what he is, how am I supposed to know what he is if I can't see him? He left a living book behind a book that is a record from Genesis to Revelation of all that Christ is and all that I ought to be in this battle. So if I'm going to pick up this breastplate of righteousness, then I've got to pick up the Bible. Now, are you with me? I want to explain why you have to pick up the Bible. It's because of verse 23. It answers the question, how do I get rid of it and overcome the old self, and how do I replace it with the new and become in practice more righteous and holy every day, therefore more able to win in the battle? How do I do that? Two words in verse 23. I do it by renewing my, say it, mind. Let's start with the word renewing. Told you there was a leak in the house out in Maryland. Elaine called me that morning early. Said there's a brown spot on the wall, carpet's wet. So I said, here's what you do to renew that. You get a fan and put it on the carpet. That'll dry it out. And you get our 18-year-old grandson who knows everything <laughs> to get a paint bucket out and a roller and paint over the brown spot. And when it's all done, it's going to look like new and you will have renewed it. No, 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 no. We called a contractor in and he pulled off the drywall. We have almost an entire wall pulled off. He's waiting for it to dry, and once it does, after they've discovered a cause for it, then they're going to put new insulation back in. They're going to put drywall over the insulation. Then they're going to tape and mud the drywall. Many contractors here know exactly what we're talking about. If you've ever done any remodeling. Then they're going to sand and sand and sand and make a miserable mess as they sand. Then all that gets cleaned up, it gets painted, and once all that is repaired and done, it is renewed. They gut out that which is old and destructive and replace it with that which is new. So you get what the word renew means? To totally renovate, to totally replace to totally gut out. And what is it that God is after totally renovating and totally gutting out and totally getting rid of? And this is what we in America hate. I have a right to my opinion. We hate being told or taught that our, uh, God's great goal in our life is to remove our old thinking and our exaltation of our own thinking and replace it with the very thinking of Jesus Christ. 
God's after my head. And he's after yours. And that is where the battle is won or lost. Which is why Christ left and left for us his word. Because he's after our mind. Righteousness is found in black and white and red. If you have a red letter Bible. It is found in the words that declare the very mind and heart and thinking of the Lord Jesus. Are you with me? So what's the deal here? If you want to really put on this armor called the breastplate of righteousness, then what you are doing, my beloved, is letting the word of God replace your thinking with the very thinking of God. Period. And I'm not Obama. Period. That's the battle. That's the war. That's where we win or lose. It's right here. Now, if you're still with me, it goes on to say, Stand, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and from what we've just learned and to do that you have to put off the weak armor of the flesh or of the old self or of the carnal life or the me first life. You have to replace that with the very life and thinking of Christ. And it's called a breastplate because it covers the vital organ. Your spiritual life in this battle depends on you being covered with your mind being and thoughts being replaced with the very mind and thought of Christ. Your very welfare and life depends on it. It covers the vital organs. The breastplate called righteousness. One who is righteous is one who is as he ought to be. And let me ask you a question. How ought we to be, church? Answer, just like righteous, holy Christ. As found in the word. That's how we ought to be. Now stay with me here. I've learned something about these pieces of armor, and this one illustrates it well. I used to believe that this righteousness was just what God gave you when you came to Christ. So pick up the righteousness of Christ by coming to him, and you'll win in the battle. I've learned a lot of people who have taken on the righteousness of Christ have lost in the battle, just like I lost this week, and will continue to imperfectly fight this battle and periodically lose. What I won't lose is my soul. For I have exchanged my sinful, old, self-focused self for the very righteousness of Christ. Are you with me? That's what the cross did for me and you. 
And if you've never heard it before, make this your holy moment in which you hear and you listen and you respond and you cry out, I believe, for here's what happened on the cross. He was nailed to the cross and his blood spilled as the Lamb of God sacrificed for our sins. So he who knew no sin became sin for me and for you and the world on the cross. He took the robe of our sin and wrapped it on himself. And then for those who will believe that that's what he did in your place, he exchanges your robe for what he has to offer. He who knew no sin took my robe of sin that I might be made the righteousness of God in him. He exchanged my sinful robe and wrapped me with his absolute perfect righteousness and true holiness. And nobody and nothing, not even my sinful focus and battles that I lose in this life caused me to lose his Righteousness, it's mine forever. However, this verse, while it's talking about that, is saying much more. In its original language, it is basically saying to you and me, now pick up the righteousness that's already yours and make it your practice. Use it to win the battle. Fail to pick it up, and you will lose every battle every time. There's God's part. He did it on the cross. He gave you his righteousness. There's your part. Now pick it up and live out what he has done for you. Ever heard this verse? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Become in practice what he's robed you with in Christ. Righteous. Always a good challenge. Aren't you glad God's patient with us as we fail and win and fail and win and win and fail and fail and fail and win and win? Does that describe your life or am I all alone here? Okay, your turn. So... The most difficult, the most difficult battle I have to face is the battle of putting off the former way and putting on the new. Let me wrap it up this way. There's only one reason the gal who usually sits in the second row, the second seat, only one reason I can pick on her and tease her every week and some of you get it if you don't but she and I just have fun together I can do it and she does it with me because we have a solid relationship that I would put up against any other relationship that I know and that relationship has not come without difficulty and without paying a price. Just as important in my mind 
as the day that she and I stood before an altar and said to God, I do. Just as important as that day was a day probably 20 years or more into our relationship when we joined hands and we said to each other a second time, I do. But this time it was not the typical wedding vows. This time, 20 years into it, I said to her, Hun, I do give you permission 24 7, 365 days a year for the rest of the life that God gives us together. I do give you permission to ask me is what you're doing, saying, feeling, wanting today a verse 22 thing to be put off or a verse 24 thing that you're trying to put on? Is it about you or is it about loving God and others? I give you permission. And she in turn looked at me and said, I give you the same permission. And we've, in a holy way, taken advantage of that I do, that vow, that permission ever since. Years ago, we had a signal. If we were in public, we said we need help of this. So if we're in public and I'm about to do a verse 22 thing and you know me better than anybody else, then do the old Carol Burnett thing. Do you remember that? She just reaches up and grabs her earlobe. I told this story so many times we had to change our signal. You want to know what it is now? None of your business. It's between she and I. Here's the deal. We have a signal that in public even holds us accountable to that. The more we're held accountable, listen up, the more we pick up that breastplate of righteousness and call each other to keep it strapped on securely. The more we do that, the less our relationship has failed. You listening? You want to help horizontal relationships? And my beloved, develop the kind of relationship that says, I want to help you pick up the armor of God in the battles we face together. And I don't know. my breath of time with you has accomplished something of eternal value that will enable you to stand when the next conflict comes. I know I will have done my job if in the hallways something more than is being talked about and what did you think about that song or what did you think about that program or what did you think if in the hallways I hear you beginning to ask each other 
was that verse 22 or was that verse 24? And I know how serious you are about winning in the battles that the Lord is in. Yo, just stand with me, please. We're going to sing. The battle belongs to the Lord. I'd like to ask you to make some commitments. Maybe husband and wife, you want to come together. Maybe other church believers, relationships you have in this body, you want to say to each other, please, please develop that relationship with me and come and let's seal it here at this altar. Deacons are going to be coming, many of them with their wives, and they're going to pray in the front, and they're praying for a pastor to come, and many of you ought to be coming while we sing together, kneeling at the front and saying, God, give us the kind of pastor who's willing to love us enough to ask, is that verse 22 or is that verse 24? Are you willing to put off and put on and pick up this armor? If those might be loved, our commitments you're ready to make today for the sake of your next pastor, for the sake of your marriages, I want to say, too, for the sake of children who want to know that what you are presenting yourself to be on Sunday, you are willing to be the rest of the week as well. I think you ought to be coming together and kneeling in front and saying, I want to make this a real thing in my life. My friend, if you've never known what we're talking about, if you've never received the very righteousness of God, through faith in his son, understanding that he exchanged your sin to give you his righteousness on the cross. And just today, cry out from your heart, I believe, and tell somebody around you or come in the front and tell somebody who's up here, we'll rejoice with you that today you had that holy moment when you accepted the righteousness of Christ. I think those are great challenges to respond to I pray the Spirit of God will drive them home to your heart. Would you come as we sing together? The battle belongs to the Lord. In heavenly honor we'll enter the land. The battle belongs to the Lord. The weapon that's fashioned against us will stand. The battle belongs to the Lord. And we sing.
we lift our voices together to praise you for the power, the strength, the might that you offer to us. So much so that we are without excuse when we fail to hold our ground in any battle. Help us, Father, to lay hold of that power by picking up that armor, putting off what we used to be, and becoming more and more every week what we ought to be because of Christ. We lay ourselves at your feet and say, make of us victors in this battle this week. Granted for Jesus' sake, in his name we pray. Amen. My prayer is that you walk out a better warrior each Lord's Day in this series. I hope God's answering my prayer in your life. Go out and fight better, my beloved. God bless you. Be a victor.